are listening to Impact Hustlers, and I am your host, Michael Schaffrat. I have made it my mission to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to solve some of the world's biggest social and environmental problems. And for this reason, I am speaking to some of the best entrepreneurs out there who are solving problems such as food waste, climate change, poverty, and homelessness. My goal is that Impact Hustlers will inspire you either by starting an impact business yourself, by joining the team of one, or by taking a small step, whatever that may be, towards being part of the solution to the world's biggest problems. Every now and then I get to interview not only startup founders, but also those that are building the ecosystems that help impact-driven entrepreneurs thrive. Don Lippert, the founder and CEO of Elemental Accelerator, is a truly outstanding leader that has created one of the most exciting programs in my mind to support startups that solve problems related to climate change. Elemental is backed by Amazon Collective, an initiative by businesswoman and philanthropist Lauren Paul Jobs, who you may be able to tell by the name happens also to be the widow and heiress of Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple. Elemental's approach goes beyond the usual startup accelerator. Instead, Elemental focuses on helping startups implement demonstration projects, generating much-needed validation of their solutions. So far, they have supported more than 100 portfolio companies and implemented 70 projects with them. Dawn shares some unique insights on the concept of place-based innovation and how her childhood and mountain school inspired her to launch Elemental. If you are founder of a climate tech startup, Elemental is currently open for applications. Uh, you can find out more in the show notes and find a link to their website. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's really great to have you on the show, Don. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. Thank you. It's been really great to be connected to you. Usually, I interview founders of startups that solve social and environmental problems But also every now and then I look for ecosystem builders and people that support these founders. And in many ways, obviously, you are a founder yourself. You are an entrepreneur, but you're an entrepreneur that has dedicated a lot of time of her life in the last few years on supporting other entrepreneurs and solving difficult problems with a specific focus on climate change and energy. So I'm really excited to talk about this. You, with Elemental, you're based in Hawaii, in Honolulu, and but you weren't always based there. So I would love to go actually a little bit back before we talk about the details of Elemental and how it works. I've seen your TED Talk uh, you did a few years ago, and you talked about the inspiration for some of the work that you're doing now with Elemental. And you talked about something called Mountain School. And I'd love to hear from you. What is Mountain School? And how did it inspire you to start Elemental? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to give a little bit of the backstory there. So I actually grew up in Seattle area. And I had the opportunity when I was a junior in high school to go to Mountain School, which is a school in Vermont just for juniors. And you grow most of what you eat. And it's a really full place-based education. So one of the projects I actually did at Mountain School was writing a history of a very small plot of land, about a quarter acre, from the Big Bang to the present day. 
And it's like being a detective on the land and figuring out, oh, if you have this kind of stone wall, it probably means you had sheep. And if you have this kind of river, that's probably what happened here. And this kind of trees means this is probably when the forest was disturbed. And so really trying to understand at a pretty specific level what happened on that piece of land. And that model that Mountain School employed is called place-based education. And later on, when I went to college or grad school, I ended up working in Washington, D.C. on innovation and climate and energy policy globally. I had a sense as we started funding projects, this was in the early days of something called ARPA-E, which was the energy equivalent of DARPA. And so the idea was, how do you fund and find interesting technologies that can be really breakthrough in the same way that DARPA was at the beginning of the internet and solar and GPS and many of these other innovations? And what would that look like for energy? So I was on the the team in 2008 and 2009 that was part of that sort of initial launch of RPE and kind of looking at that. And as we were looking at thousands of really interesting technologies from universities, from corporates, from startups, it became increasingly clear that in energy and climate, including water and transportation, these challenges that technologies face really are so local, right? So this is very different from trying to launch a technology and put it out on the app store and a bunch of people are going to buy it. When you're looking at climate technology, energy technology, things that make real difference in our food systems and transportation systems, they have to be deployed in places, in neighborhoods, in communities, next to people who may or may not want them. And so there's really an opportunity to be very place-based in that transformation. And so that was where I took a lot of the lessons I learned at Mountain School around place-based education and said, what would it look like to apply this for place-based innovation? So we know we need innovation. We know we need to transform our places. We need to decarbonize our industries. What would it look like to do that in a place-based way? And by taking a place-focused approach, could we actually go faster and be more integrated and work across the system in a different way than if we were taking a national or international approach to it? So that was the, the essence and the seed of Elemental Accelerator. As you mentioned, we started and incubated in Hawaii. Um, This is around 2009 and have now grown across California and around the world in terms of the projects we support and the companies we fund. Amazing. I want to zoom in on the place-based innovation, place-based education model and your approach, right? Because if, if you look at the kind of traditional Silicon Valley type hyperscaling, blitzscaling model, it's pretty much kind of a standardized product, grow as fast as you can, obviously the Facebooks and Airbnbs and uh, so on of the world. And when I talk to entrepreneurs that solve social and environmental problems, the question is always around, okay, should we adopt that model? Should we just do the same thing? But solve more social and environmental problems have something really scalable like that needs to be serving the needs of loads and billions of people around the world and then this model seems a bit different where it's very focused on specific places how how do you see those two models and what's your take on it in terms of what how entrepreneurs should think about this Yeah, it's a great question. We are absolutely in support of scale and the climate problem demands an enormous amount of scale in the next 10 years to solve it. And so we support companies that we think have the potential to really scale and make a dent in climate. 
both themselves and by breaking open industries in really interesting and creative ways. So we absolutely think scale is super important. But because of the nature of many of these technologies, you actually have to start in places and actually really learn what communities will accept, how customers want to interact with you. You have to learn that in a pretty deep way in order to set the right foundations for scale. And so that's what we do at Elemental. And in a lot of ways, we're very different from other accelerator programs. So we are a growth stage accelerator, first of all. So the average company coming into Elemental has already raised between five and seven million dollars in capital. So we're looking for companies that have a proven technology and are really looking to grow and commercialize that technology in partnership with customers, in partnership with communities, and really looking to break through in their market expansion. So that tends to be where we focus. And because of that, we also fund projects. As opposed to just funding companies, we are actually funding projects. Many times we bring the customers in for those projects. And I can give you a few examples of what that would look like. But we find that actually getting in the weeds, getting our hands dirty with companies on these projects is a really powerful way for us to learn what's happening across the entire system. So I'll give you just one example, which is a few weeks ago, we launched a project with Ampere, which is a company that has a hybrid electric airplane. And it turns out that Hawaii is a very interesting place for short haul aviation because we have lots of short haul flights. And so we launched a route with Ampere from Kahului on Maui to Hana on Maui, a cargo route, which is basically the first commercial route being flown by a hybrid electric airplane anywhere in the world. And what we're trying to do is get the next level of certification, get enough hours in the air for the airplane, but also learn what does it take in the ecosystem to make something like this happen? You need participation from the utility to actually create charging infrastructure. You need the airport to be a host for that charging infrastructure and be a true partner at the table for how to deploy the first hybrid electric aircraft. We also need the airlines. So in this case, working with Mokalele and Southern on as airline partners to bring that together. And then the pilots and all the sort of ground crew and other folks that make it happen. So it's really a question of catalyzing all of these actors in the community around a specific project. And by doing that and being on the ground, we just get so much more learning as Elemental than if we just wrote a check to a company. And by having that kind of learning, we can be much more impactful in the policy space with corporates, with communities, with all the other stakeholders that really need to align and move forward in order to achieve climate goals in the short amount of time we have left. So that's really our approach. It's working with growth stage companies to fund and advance projects in a very different context. And I'll just share the, the reason we have the flexibility to do that is that we have some amazing funding partners with philanthropy and foundations that really see this as something we need to break through in order to achieve our goals on climate. We have terrific funding partners from the government, specifically from the Navy, and also from corporates. And so we have a lot of room to experiment and see what actually helps companies go faster and brings communities along with it as opposed to an afterthought. So you're quite an active supporter. You get your hands dirty and you implement projects with the companies that you work with. Is that right? Uh, I can imagine the challenges these companies are facing, although they're all trying to bring about solutions to climate change, obviously they're very different company companies, probably have very different challenges. How do you actually support them with a range of challenges that you may not be experts in? How, do you connect them to the right people or how does it work? 
Yeah, so we are fortunate to have an amazing team. We've got 35 people on the Elemental team who have deep experience in networks in all different kinds of industries. So across our directors of innovation, for instance, we have people that focus on agriculture, circular economy, mobility, water, energy. And so we have really broad and deep networks across the space. So many times we can help companies because we've now funded 117 portfolio companies. So it's very likely that we have someone in our portfolio that's three or four weeks ahead of where you are or encountered that same problem three or four weeks ago. So we have really good real-time data about what's happening in the industry that people can share with each other and, and really help advance all of the work that we're doing together. And then we have an incredible network of folks that we've worked with. So hundreds of deployment partners that we've worked with to deploy technology who have incredible intel in the market. And um, we've co-invested with thousands, literally thousands of angels and venture funds across our portfolio. And so we have a really broad network of, of people to tap into there to support folks. And then we also have what we call a SWAT team or an acupuncture team of people in-house that are, are investors in residence, a COO in residence, a sales and growth coach in residence who have seen the trajectory of many different companies and really get in the weeds with companies as they're encountering a specific challenge. So what we found to be really impactful over the years, and our model has evolved and changed constantly as the markets changed. What we've found to be really impactful over the years is bringing the right person on at the right time in a pretty deep and strategic way can leapfrog companies ahead six months, 12 months, even 18 months. So what we've tried to do is surround ourselves with those kind of people and then bring them in exactly the right time to help a company scale. And then take the learnings from what we have from that company and apply it to our broader portfolio and many companies beyond that as well. So it doesn't just live with one company in terms of impact, but it informs what we're doing across the whole ecosystem to break open climate technology. Great. All about building partnerships and ecosystems. In terms of your impact, I think you've helped about 120 different companies. You implemented more than 70 projects and you funded those companies actually and those projects with uh, more than 40 million US dollars. In terms of your impact on sustainable energy and on combating climate change, how are you quantifying that and how far along your journey are you with, with making, a, making a dent there? Yeah, it's a great question. As we think about making impact on climate, it's partly about what the companies themselves directly do. So we measure that. We measure direct emissions and um, potential emissions from different companies, as well as the water saved and waste and things like that. But we're also thinking about what these companies do in terms of changing systems. Our other sustainable aviation company, we have a couple other sustainable aviation companies. Just since I talked about Ampere, I may as well mention the other ones, which are Zero Avia, which is a hydrogen fuel cell approach to clean aviation, which could be longer, longer haul flight. And we also have Signal, which is a company actually based in your neck of the woods in London that mm -hmm. is making flying much more efficient through pilot behavior and positive sort of reward systems and reinforcements for pilot behavior. As we're thinking about these companies, it's partly about the particular impact that they're making, but it's also about what they're enabling in terms of changing and evolving whole industries. So we think about it in terms of both those ways, direct impacts, as well as what does it mean for the system? We're very interested in finding places in the system where there are barriers, funding companies and technologies to help overcome those or, or provide positive proof points, and then using those to uh, really break open the rest of the system. I would also say the other thing that we're really interested in is beyond sort of the macro impacts of the change we're making on climate 
is what does it mean particularly for frontline communities and communities that need it most? So we think about that in a number of different facets. One is the companies that we actually bring into the accelerator. How do we ensure that we're bringing in women founders of color, others that might not be as plugged into these networks and helping support those companies and accelerate them on their journey? So in our 2020 cohort, for example, half of our companies are led by women and nearly half have a founder who identifies as a person of color and a third founded by someone who identifies as black or indigenous. So I think part of creating impact and climate is ensuring that people from all different kinds of backgrounds and talent have access to capital, have access to the networks that will help them scale companies that are impactful in climate. Again, not just from a macro scale, but specifically in communities we care about. And then the other half of that for us is our work on our equity and access track, which is once we've found companies that are really focused on serving frontline communities, how do we actually help them get there and serve communities that are underserved in a way that is equitable, that creates mutual benefits with the community, and that really is a good partner coming into frontline communities. So through our equity and access track, we actually fund projects in frontline communities, and we bring in community partners and others to serve as anchors of those kinds of projects. So just one example on that front to give you a sense of what I'm what I mean is a project that we funded with Remix. Remix is a transportation planning software. They're in use in hundreds of cities around the world and where transportation planners used to have use paper and pencil to plan what a city would look like, they can now use Remix to do it in real time and collaborate with planners to see lots of different options in a city and what they would mean. Now, when we started funding Remix it said to us that they're city partners were really interested in various scenarios of what impact they would have on equity. So if you build a highway over here, how will that impact equity and frontline communities versus building a highway over here or a bike bike path or different kinds of city infrastructure changes? But there wasn't really a way to quantify that. We funded an equity and access project with Remix, and we brought in a community partner, Transform, to actually be their co-designer in developing metrics for equity so that there was really trusted and credible community voice as part of that development. And it wasn't just a startup saying, this is what we think would be equitable for you designing a city. So it was really in that co-design process that we funded and helped facilitate. And then now that Remix is able to roll out to many different cities and say, when you're doing your transportation planning, you can also add in this layer of equity assessment. What will be the more equitable decision and how will it impact different demographics and different populations? So it's really thinking that way across not only what are the companies doing in terms of who they're founded by and what we call equity in within the company, but how does this impact many different kinds of communities and frontline communities, which we call equity out. Got it. Uh, amazing. Let's talk a bit about your journey and how you actually ended up building this amazing ecosystem of both influential people supporting this entrepreneurs on the ground implementing and coming up with solutions and also tying it in, as you just said, into the social impact for the people living in the places that you work in. And going back, obviously, from the days of mountain school, I think I've looked at your profile a little bit. You, you Afterwards, you spend a few years later, you spent some time doing sea turtle research. Later on, you did some time working as a consultant for a few years. And eventually, I think you actually worked with Amazon Collective for a while. And I can imagine that's actually a crucial moment 
just for context for the listeners, Amazon Collective is a social change initiative that's been founded by Lauren Powell uh, Jobs, uh, who's obviously a well-known person in the space that's uh, funding some amazing initiative. And that's also then partnered with you now on making Elemental happen. So you've really built this amazing ecosystem around you as a person, but obviously uh, around Elemental that's supporting this. How did you first go about that when you had less connections, when you didn't know that many people in the space, when you didn't know influential billionaires that could fund your initiatives? How, how did you go about building those alliances? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think the first thing is just having impact and mission as a North Star. So we've been really fortunate to be able to do this work as a nonprofit, which enables us to look not just at what the startups are doing, but again, what's happening across the system and how can we impact that? So I think from my perspective, that's always been my personal mission in life. And that's been our North Star. So we've tried to be really creative, really open-handed, really collaborative in how we pursue that. And we've been able to bring in some pretty amazing partners, as you said, along the way. So I think in the beginning, there were a couple things that sort of stick out to me. One is that when I was a consultant, as you mentioned, one of my projects was working at RPE on the technology side, as I mentioned. Another one that I spent a lot of time on was this Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative. And it was the idea that with the department, I was working with the Department of Energy, and the idea was for Department of Energy, instead of sprinkling resources around many different kinds of states and various clean energy initiatives, what if you could really centralize some of those resources and some of that political will and attention on one place and really flip it from dirty to clean? So this was in 2007, 2008. And it became the Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative, this really thoughtful and integrated approach to whole economic transformation to clean energy. And so I was really fortunate to spend a lot of time in Hawaii from BC, flying back and forth once a month. Got a lot of uh, frequent flyer miles through that, but really getting to know the community in Hawaii and what it would take to bring sort of stakeholders along and design a clean energy economy here. And through that, I met a mentor. His name's Maurice Kaya. And he and I were working together on this transformation initiative. And when I came to Hawaii, he was the one that I moved here to work with. He was an incredible uh, leader, incredibly well-respected across Hawaii, had done some really difficult things like building some of the first renewable energy plants, geothermal plants in Hawaii, was very well respected across sort of the entire stakeholder community and business community. So I wanted to learn from him. And one of the things that he said to folks when I got here was anything you can say to me, you can say to Don. And so he really took me under his wing and mentored me and brought me into community here and built help build that community trust with me. He's now a, a director emeritus for Elemental and he's still an amazing part of our ecosystem. But I, it was really through that mentorship that a lot of these initial relationships were born. And then I think the combination of having those kind of people around us and having the North Star of our mission has attracted a lot of people to Elemental over time and given us the opportunity to work with some incredible thought leaders and credible leaders throughout the years. So there's many more than I can even name here, but I think it's really been twofold. It's some people diving in really deep, believing in it and really putting sort of their shoulder to it to make it work and bring in others and networks. And then it's a much larger group of people who are around the edges that are really bringing value and networks and making things work. So I consider it in, in those kind of 
two tiers. But I think it's really about people and about mission. In, in that journey over the years, what since you started Elemental, what do you think was one of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome or a big lesson that you had to learn? I'm sure towards the beginning, it's always much, much harder, obviously, to get things off the ground. So can you remember anything that kind of defined you in terms of challenges you had to um, overcome? So many challenges building an organization, building something new. When we started Elemental, we were the first climate tech accelerator anywhere, the first people applying this idea of an accelerator to hardware and climate and clean energy and, and that sort of space. And so there were a lot of people who said that really can't be done. It's not a good idea. The accelerator model is really built for software and it shouldn't be applied to climate and clean energy. So there, were, there was a lot of that when we first started. So I think it was a mix of really listening to, to people and what had worked and hadn't worked, but also having conviction and saying, we think it can work if we do X, Y, Z. So in those early days, there was a lot of like scratch on the back of a napkin, trying to experiment with different ways we might do things. For example, most tech accelerators at that time and, and still now are three months and many require companies, or at least pre-COVID required companies and founders to move to a specific place and be in-house for three months to build a business and get specific week over week traction and then do a demo day. And we realized by talking to a lot of people and also by working with entrepreneurs early on, that wasn't really a model that would work for clean energy. So many of these companies have been doing research and really building the technology base for years with government funding or other kinds of support. And so what we needed was a much more distributed approach where we could bring in the best talent from around the world. They don't need to move to Hawaii or move to California for three months, but we need to bring them into community with each other in a really meaningful way. So we first designed that as basically a kickoff week where they would come together, get to know each other, really get to know each other's businesses, meet us and our team and some of our sort of core people who could help them and then head back to run their companies and bring them back periodically for specific intensive weeks where they could get much more than a week's worth ahead on their business. So that's like the key thing for, for our work, right? Is figuring out how each hour or each day an entrepreneur spends with us saves them more than an hour or a day on the back end. And sort of figuring out that formula has been a really exciting journey for us. But that's how we originally started the accelerator. No one else was really doing that at the time saying, okay, we're going to have this long-term relationship with you. It's probably going to be one to three years at least. And now with our entrepreneurs, we work with them until they exit and then beyond because then they come back to our CEO summits after they've exited and continue adding knowledge to the ecosystem. But it was thinking about how would we adapt all the things that work well in tech accelerators but adapt them to this very different space that's hardware that requires a very different kind of sort of commitment and long-term dedication and partnership. So for climate tech startups that listening to this and are like, oh, this is actually sounds like me, I should be part of this. Do you require then beyond the week that they spent with you, do you require the projects to be implemented in Hawaii or do you have multiple locations now? How, how does it work for them to actually not lose focus, but obviously be able to, to implement those pilot projects? Yeah, it's a great question. So the we're actually opening for applications in Q1. So, you know, just in a little ways here, and we're really excited to see sort of what's out there. We tend to get a few hundred applications a year and get to see a really amazing slice of what's happening across the innovation ecosystem. 
So the projects don't have to be implemented just in Hawaii. We have terrific sort of customer relationships and experience in Hawaii. We also implement projects um, in California and around the world. So we're looking for companies that have really good ideas, have really fantastic teams, and a huge amount of commercialization potential. And we can work with them anywhere that they might be. In addition to specifically working with the companies that uh, are in our portfolio, we also have a way, a number of ways that we open up our network to other kinds of companies. So even if companies don't feel like they're an exact fit for funding for our projects or the things that we're doing at our stages, they can still apply to Elemental and become part of our network that we connect with corporate partners, that we connect with investors. And we actually have a really robust platform where we connect many more startups to the kinds of players that can help them scale. So we focus a lot on our portfolio, but we also are really interested in helping many more hundred startups than we can directly support on their path to scale. So we encourage people to, to apply whether or not they think they're an exact fit for our program so they can be in the system and get access to that network and those services. Great. You've worked with more than 100 startups, and I actually have a bit of a history working with startups in obviously this way with the podcast, but before that also working in an accelerator. And I think after a while, you always start to see certain patterns or both positive and negative, right? Like the mistakes that are commonly made or some of the things that commonly lead to success. What would your advice be for founders, especially with a focus on climate tech, in terms of mistakes to avoid and things to do to be successful? I know it's a very broad question, but do you see any patterns that you have identified in your, in your startups you work with? Yes, so many patterns. I think one of the really important things that I've grown to appreciate is the importance of an abundance mindset in founders. And particularly when it comes to this space, no, none of the climate tech companies that we work with or that I've seen be successful can do it on their own. It requires an enormous amount of partnership and collaboration um, with customers, with other industry players, in some cases with people who might otherwise be seen as competitors. And so having an abundance mindset has been really critical to the success of the companies that we've seen win. At the same time, it's a really competitive landscape. So understanding who your competitors are and who your collaborators are is really important. I would say another ingredient we've seen for entrepreneurs in this space is the right mix of patience and impatience. Many of these technologies in water, in mobility and energy, they can take longer to come to market. So founders have to be in it for the long haul and patient. You re recently interviewed Brendan Milstein, um, who's the founder of Carbon Lighthouse, and we've uh, worked with and funded Carbon Lighthouse many years ago. And he's been building that company for over 10 years, and it's been incredibly impactful. They've now been able to avoid the emissions from multiple power plants and are just growing really well in the energy efficiency space with a really unique model. But it's taken long-term patience and short-term impatience to make that happen. So I think finding that right balance is really important. Climate is the problem that is fighting the clock, right? We have many other social problems, but climate is the one where every day, every week, every month really matters in terms of how quickly we're bending that curve down. So when we find founders who are willing to be patient in building relationships, are willing to be in it for the long haul, but have the right amount of impatience to get things done and get into the market, it, 
a really winning combination. And then also one other example of that is, for example, our company, our portfolio company, Fervo. So they're a geothermal company, really fascinating sort of breakthrough geothermal technology. Geothermal is a really interesting technology because it can be a baseload technology. So rather than solar, which you can create solar power in the sun shining and then use batteries for overnight, geothermal is a 24-hour power source from the heat from the earth. So we don't have geothermal heat everywhere, but in the places where we have it, it can be really impactful. So they're a great example where a lot of their work really depends on how fast other geothermal plants can go so they can insert their technology into some of these existing geothermal plants. It depends on how fast government can permit their projects and what that looks like. And there's a degree of impatience on the entrepreneur side to make sure you're evolving the technology and the team's hitting milestones, but then a degree of patience to make sure some of these larger pieces like permitting and some of these larger partnerships can fall into place and that you're in it for the long haul. So just one example. Hmm. For entrepreneurs starting out and exploring the space, and uh, I meet a lot of people that have a lot of entrepreneurial experience, but that uh, maybe they started a software company and they loved it, but now they really want to focus on uh, social or environmental issue close to the heart and climate change may be one of those and is certainly one of the biggest ones. Do you have any advice for them in terms of specific problems to be solved in that space that seem to be underserved or markets that are not really served or you don't see a lot of solutions in certain spaces? Any advice on navigating that big space and discovering new problems to be solved? Yes, and we're always looking for entrepreneurs that bring a unique insight based on their own background. So I think that's what I would also encourage founders to do is look into your own background and figure out what are the insights that you have based on your life experience and your networks that other people don't have or other people don't know and look there first. The couple areas that we're really excited about technology-wise and would like to see more companies in, I can uh, share a couple. One is in general sort of carbon technology, so carbon to value. Um, we have a couple companies that are doing really interesting things here. One is from your native country of Germany. It's called Made of Air and takes carbon and creates essentially alternatives to plastic and other kinds of materials. So you're sequestering carbon and also not using new materials to make that plastic or make those materials. So really interesting company using carbon um, as a building material and alternative to plastic. Another company in that vein would be our company Planet Forward, founded by Julia Collins in the Bay Area. And that company similarly is looking at, at carbon, but in a really different way. So they're saying, what is the carbon footprint of all the different ingredients that go into our food? How can we um, assess that, understand it, and make them much more carbon positive and align that with what uh, large corporates and manufacturers want to sell to consumers? So a very different platform focus, heavy software and um, consumer focus for that technology, but two, two companies that are really addressing carbon. And then a third, this addressing from a, a hard tech perspective, is our company called Carbon Cure, which takes carbon dioxide and sequesters it into concrete forever. And the concrete is stronger and not more expensive. So we did a project with them on Oahu here. And then have been able to scale that. They've been able to scale it around the world with hundreds of concrete plants now. So these are just a couple of different ways that people are thinking about taking carbon and turning it into value or taking sort of, um, the carbon emissions problem and turning it into a really interesting business opportunity. So that's definitely one place I would consider, I would encourage people to look. 
There's a lot of investment going to that area right now as well. And then two others that are really interesting for us now is local mobility and sort of understanding the problems of local mobility and then going global with those. So an example is one of our companies, Where Is My Transport, that maps all of the informal transportation networks um, in countries. So if you've ever spent time in Mexico City or other places like that, that much of the transportation is actually informal transportation. And so you can't pull it up on Google Maps or in other sort of app-based ways until now. And where's my transport sort of makes that, surfaces that data in a really organic and live and real-time way and ensures that people can use public transport to get around. So a major carbon story, but also a huge impact for access and for people's access to transportation and mobility. So that's one example there. And then the last one I would say is folks have been a little bit hot and cold, no pun intended, on water. And we've started to see some really interesting water companies that are some of them at the water energy nexus or taking learnings from the energy sector and applying them to water. So we have companies like Transcend, who is essentially automating the engineering process for water plants. The real breakthrough there is what it does is instead of building the same water plants with the same old technology, now engineering firms and customers can very quickly see what it would look like to integrate new water technologies into their design. And that just hasn't been possible before unless it was hundreds of thousands of dollars of engineering. So it was a huge barrier to getting new technologies into the water space. So just some really creative companies across water that we're seeing. Cambrian Innovation out of Boston in our portfolio is another example, taking wastewater and turning it to clean water and energy. So I think that people who are interested in climate should also really take a look at water and where some of those gaps are. It's going to be a really important frontier and it's a huge market. What do you see as the biggest risk for these startups that you're working with? Is that often a technology risk, the risk of actually making the technology work? Or is it around getting the right investors? Is there enough money in this space? Or what is the kind of factor that you think is the riskiest that needs to be fixed in order for us to see hopefully many climate change impact unicorns in a few years? Mm -hmm. there, there are a number of risks across the spectrum. I think one of the things that I've noticed about entrepreneurs, people think, oh, entrepreneurs, they love risk. They're so risky. But actually, really good entrepreneurs are just really good at managing risk and understanding what their risks are and knocking them down one by one. So the best entrepreneurs that we work with are not wild risk takers. It's really there are people who really understand the risks of building in each stage of their business and are knocking them down really systematically. The risks that we spend the most time working on and thinking about are commercial risks. We've seen a lot of investment in technology, both from government, university, other kinds of sort of partners. There's some amazing sort of technical breakthroughs that are coming through. We've seen a huge amount of increase in the amount of invest, investor dollars in this space. People who just realize that climate is the, the biggest market opportunity of the next decade or two, and that want to somehow be involved in that. So we've seen a lot of investor dollars come in. Of course, we can always use more and smarter investors, but we really have seen a lot of capital come into the space. But I think the third that we're really focused on is this commercial risk, is how do you price the solution? How do you sell it? What do those channel partners look like? Many of the companies that we're working with are selling technologies into really established incumbent industries who have really clear and calcified ways of buying things and deploying things. And we need them to change and decarbonize. 
And so that's where we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we work with the largest corporates? How do we work with utilities and get their incentives? How do we work with some of these other kind of engineering firms or channel partners or folks that could be gatekeepers to decarbonize technology? So we really think a lot about commercial risk and how people can overcome that. One of the key tools that we really like when thinking about commercial risk is to understand what are a company's first markets and then what are their growth markets. And they're almost always different. When we first started funding companies in this space, we tended to see early stage companies going after their growth market as a first market. It usually didn't work because usually the growth market players are not as fast, they're not as nimble, and they're not as willing to take a bet on innovation. So one thing we've spent a lot of time with our companies is helping research and dissect what are the what's the first market, what's the growth market. So what's the market that can get them to the right amount of scale, bring in financing partners that have the right depth and can finance units five to 25. So you need a first market to really get you there and to power the way through early commercialization. And then with those proof points and that behind you, then move into a growth market that is probably going to look quite different. So that's one thing we spend a lot of time thinking through with our companies and then testing those hypotheses to see how quickly we can get companies into a really powerful and momentum-driven first market. I've got one more question for you, and that's about the future. Let's think about the next 10 years. How do you think the world will look like in 10 years' time if elemental accelerator continues to succeed with with the mission that you're you're on i think it has to come back to including people in the transition and giving people voice in this transition one thing that we are really excited about is bringing our tools that we've developed over the last four years on equity and access both equity into companies and equity out to many more companies and founders one of the things i think is possible when you do that and that we've seen even at elemental is that once you have once you make certain decisions internally at an organization around equity and how you want to treat that it closes the door to other less equitable options because you now have an array of viewpoints within your team you have senior leadership who is thinking about equity in these ways and it actually really changes who you are who we are as an organization and the decisions you make and how you show up in the world. It's always a journey. We're still on our journey, absolutely, on equity, inclusion, and access. But I really see that as, in 10 years, the standard. And I really hope to see that as a standard across these companies. Because we can build capability and language and knowledge early into companies, into their DNA. Then as these companies grow, that's already it's already done. It's already taken care of. It's already part of how the company will grow. And things will certainly evolve and change. But I think there are certain pathways that less equitable pathways that become really difficult as you grow if you already have it built into your DNA early. So that's one thing sort of thinking about. The other one is how to catalyze many more kinds of capital across the space so that we ensure that companies are powered by the right kind of capital at the right time. One of the things that we see across industries, whether it's computers or phones or others, is that financing options come into the space and really accelerate the maturity of a market. So we're starting to see that in climate, right? Like you don't want to use venture dollars to fund hardware and grow your business that way. A great example in our portfolio is a company called STEM 
which has a distributed energy storage hardware, but they used venture capital dollars to grow the corporate side of the business and then used project finance or other kinds of similar instruments that look more like debt to actually finance the batteries themselves for their customers. So the customers could still get no money down service and, and batteries, but they're financed not by venture capital dollars, financed not on the balance sheet of the company. So those kinds of tools are what really will supercharge our network to reach scale much quicker. So we're really focused on those two. So equity and access, how do you build this into companies from the beginning with their DNA? And then how do you build a really like powerful and aligned financing ecosystem so that as companies grow, they can access the right kind of financing at the right time. And that will really fuel a company's growth. Amazing. I wish you all the best on that journey. It's been great to talk to you today and really inspiring to see your personal journey, but also the impact that Elemental and more importantly, the companies that you're working with making. So thank you very much for joining today. Thank you so much for all you're doing to lift up and highlight impact to across the ecosystem. We need so many more people thinking like you and, and making this work. So thanks so much. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, uh, take some action. If you're running a company in this space, do apply. And thank you very much for joining. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.